It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy, and it's about people. It's about. It's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept: uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force. That sort of controls our destiny,、uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence, great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang bang and people fall over and are dead, but you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Welcome back to Generation Skywalker, and this is the latest edition of Those Old Fossils. And who's with me tonight? Tonight, well, I have Mark Daniels. Good evening, Mark. Good evening,、uh, Mark. If, if you know the, the sick Empire Strikes Back bounty hunters we see on the old platform, you know, Forlorn, Zuckus, Bosk, Fett, Dengar, IG. If you're going a night, you know, temping bowling, which, which one would you take with you? Which who do you think would be the、uh, the best at bowling? Stu, you win the award for the most random question of the year award. I, you know. Fall on, fall on. Interesting. I didn't see that coming, but、uh, <laughs> interesting. We also have with us tonight Grant. Good evening, Grant. Good evening, boys. So, Grant, if you were taking up like life drawing, you know, you've got really into it. I mean, Mark's already got fall on at the bowling alley with him, but from the other five, who would you most like to、uh, draw naked? Fall on. <laughs> He's got a busy night. And、uh, finally, the last one with us is Craig Spivey. Good evening, Craig. Hello. So Craig, Craig, fancy a, if you're going to to pop out in Leamington Spa and do a bit of the old parkour, would、uh, be jumping off the walls with you. Well, I think those IG units are pretty nifty these days, aren't they? So I'd go for IG88. Interesting, interesting. Where、well, you were all wrong, gents. You know we're we're here to talk vintage toys tonight and something that we're all deeply involved in. Uh, we we don't talk about our acquisitions on this show and whatnot, but we get to the end of 2020, and tonight we're going to be chatting about the state of the hobby、um, at the end of this year with with regards to pricing and all that kind of stuff. But with it being、um, a difficult year, you know, people have been losing their jobs and people have been working from home. How have we added much to our collections? I mean, Grant, have you invested much in vintage this year? Yeah, I did, mate. I think it was my sort of subconscious way of dealing with the whole situation. Plus, I saved a ridiculous amount of money, probably about two hundred, two hundred fifty pounds a month on fuel. This is working from home, so I just、uh, just went a bit mental, to be honest, mate. <laughs> I love the fact that you've already kind of convinced yourself. 
I haven't spent that, so I can spend this this month. And do you know what? I love it because you know, in quarantine and stuff, it was a wonderful opportunity to sort of like go through the collection. And uh, I sold a lot of stuff as well, and then reinvested that into like really nice pieces. You know, stuff that needed to be done for over the last twenty five years, and then we got stuck at home and finally got them done. If I'd have pushed you just for a, for a couple of your favourite pieces you picked up, I managed to get a Luke Farm Boy on the Pallets Toy Twelve back, which was a reseal. Nice. Uh, and I got that. It, it, it looks great. It's a really nice looking piece. And around about the same day I got it, there was one sold on Star Wars Forum UK for about, but it was up there for 6K and it was sold for a best offer. And I, right. I paid about 400 quid. Yeah. Uh, a few other nice pieces. There was a there was a Death Squad Commander Pally Toy 12 back reseal, which I kind of regretted because back in December last year, there was one for sale at Father's From. And uh, Jez ended up picking it up. I was looking at it just before he picked it up and I was sort of iffing and ahhing. And as soon as he picked it up, I thought, damn, man, I should have bought that. Obviously happy for him, but that, I thought that, you know, because the Pally Toy logo really pops on that Death Squad Commander card. So it was nice to pick up one of those. I managed to get a carded Starfire badge. Do you, have you heard of those? Do you know what those are? Yep. The little lights. That's the one, yeah. The, go for silly money, don't they? For a badge, it's incredible how much mm. they fetch. This is the only carded one I've ever seen for sale. I've seen pictures of them carded, but this was the only one I saw for sale. And it popped up on eBay for 50 quid. So I managed to purchase that. Finally got a 1976 Alan Dean Foster Adventures of Luke Skywalker novel, which is like it's one of the most earliest Star Wars collectibles about. I saw one in, in Anaheim uh, when we were at Celebration in 2015. And it was $30 and I walked past it and then regretted it, walked back and it sold straight away. And this was in the first two minutes of Celebration opening. So I, I said to myself, okay, you can get one, but you're not allowed to spend any more than $30. So they've been popping up on eBay over the last couple of years for 100, 150 quid. And then finally one popped up for $30. So I bought it, which was really nice. And probably, I'm not even sure if it was this year or last year, but I managed to get one of those uh, Luciite Empire Strikes Back uh, crew stars. You know, the, the celebrity screenings of, of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. I think it was a Gary Kurtz idea. First time I come across those was in Sound Suites from Concept to Screen to Collectible book. It's one of the first first pages you open to, and it show, shows the crew item. And anything that is really in that book is always something that I, would, I find highly desirable. So, I mean, that's just a few items I could go on and on. It's been quite quite a, quite a year. Yeah, nice, mate. Some really nice pieces there. Mark, I'm not, I'm not sure you've had the money this year with the amount of modern you've been purchasing. Um, Lego and Razor Crests and all that and the Mando extension. It's did, yeah, did you pick, that is. <laughs> I bet it is. Did you pick up much vintage? I, I did, actually. I surprised myself. Even though, even though my work, I'm, I'm self-employed, my work has taken a hit this year. And I, I have found myself really uh, not struggling, but... Certainly not as busy as I should be. It, it, it hasn't been great. But having said that, I did sort of liquidate a lot. Because I, I know a lot of people know that I, I do a bit of trading as a means to fund my collection. I, I buy a bit, sell a bit, and then I invest in my collection. That's how I can afford to do what I do. And also, I enjoy it. Uh, I, I enjoy doing the, the trading. Real good fun. But uh, I, I basically liquidated pretty much everything at the beginning of the year when covid hit sort of back in march and i just thought well it's pointless having it all sat there gathering dust because i can't see any toy shows happening any anytime soon and i don't generally do sort of selling online i i, I do sometimes on facebook uh, every now and again just 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 to keep things ticking over uh, but I just made the decision, that's it, I'm going to stop trading for now, certainly for the foreseeable. I used that money to buy pieces that I, I, I wanted. So I had a, a sort of war chest, as it were, 
um, that I was able to use throughout the whole of this year to purchase items that I wanted that came, you know, as and when they came up for sale. So I, I've actually this year probably had <laughs> one of my best years for buying items that I want and um, sort of top of the top three, I guess, would be uh, the UK Empire Strikes Back tops box for the initial stickers. And even the US boxes are hard enough to find, but the UK boxes is, is just impossible, next to impossible. So I managed to get one of those at a reasonable price. A recent purchase, and we're going to be talking about the auctions later, but the last Vectis auction, which was uh, last week, I think it was, I managed to pretty much complete my Palatoy debut carded run reseals and some mocks in there with the uh, 45A R2D2 sensor scope. So I managed to uh, pretty much complete that run, minus FET and uh, 45A 3PO, so very pleased with that. And also I got from a friend of mine, because I'm very involved in sort of old school, uh, the BMX scene, a mate of mine posted on page that he got this um, display box, and it was the Helix Erasers display box. Not the pencil tops, the ones with the pictures on, which is rare as rocking horse shit. Um, and um, he used it to keep his Humbrol, you know, the little Humbrol model paints, and they were exactly the right size to be placed in this cardboard display box. And he told me he got it from a news agent's where he worked as a paperboy, and he realised that it was empty and it was round the back, and he, he took it home and he used, used it to put his model paints in for sort of 30, 40 years, and it had been stuck underneath some boxes, and he pulled it out, and he posted a picture of it, and I said, mate... Please tell me you want to sell that. I know you, I know you've had it for a long time, but I, I would really like to buy it. And I gave him a load of stuff, and I gave him a load of cash, and it's now residing in my uh, one of my cabinets on display. So yeah, I've had a, a really good year, all things considered. It sounds like it, and that's a great little story, isn't it, with your Helix box? I like that. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, they're proper proper collecting stories. That's what it's all about. It did sound like you've had a good a good year, mate. Uh, and that's uh, that's just the top three as well, mate. I could go on, but I'm yeah. just going to keep it to those three. Craig. Yeah, I'm, I'd echo Grant and Mark, really. I've had a tremendous year of vintage collecting. I think, you know, partly to what Grant was saying, it's kind of got me through some some, some dull and some tough weeks uh, on the lockdown. And also you can, you can justify it because you're not putting petrol in the car. You're not going off to meetings and spending a tenner in prep for your dinner. You know, that kind of stuff, it all adds up and... You know, it's been a been a tough week. I'll treat myself. So there's a there's definitely been a bit of that going on. And um, yeah, like like the guys, I've got a massive list here. This uh, this has prompted me to just take stock of some of the things I have bought. But I won't go through it all. With we don't have the time. But I'll pick out some highlights. So I think there are obviously lots of additions to my collection of early UK licensed stuff. So all the Lions Made, the Vimura, HC Ford, and Left Set, and all that kind of good stuff. A few bits of Helix. I mean, Helix. You know, as Mark's just uh, alluded to, the, the, the stuff now that, that we want to be going after is kind of really hard. It's it, You're into the dis- uh, arena once you've got all the, the uh, production items. But I was given the chance to buy one of the... It doesn't sound very exciting, but it's a, it's a plastic bag <laughs> with the big yellow and red Star Wars Helix logo on it. Um, and these were these were what the school sets, so the, the vinyl school sets, these are what they were shipped to retailers in they were they were four to a bag and i got the opportunity to to get one of those which is uh nice to get a, a significant helix piece uh for the collection so i was very um chuffed with that 
I think a couple of the other things we, we've discussed on the show. So we talked about the uh, Liana Wanoa, the Chinese bootleg comics, right back on our very first Old Fossils show. Since that, I've managed to add uh, some nice pieces to that collection. So uh, a nice uh, run of three stories that loosely retell the story of the Empire Strikes Back. There's a compendium with this amazing cover, which I've yet to kind of share with people, but um, that collates some of the uh, some of the first interpretations that um, I've got in individual comics. A lovely Chinese magazine with some Hildebrandt art on the cover, but the most bizarre of the lot is a couple of comics that are Star Wars in name only. So they are this uh, Zinqui Dazan, which is which is Star Wars, but there's it's just got adventures of um, very Japanese-looking manga-style characters battling evil robots. So it sort of just shows that over there in China, they were selling products just under the Star Wars banner. So it's it's quirky and it's interesting stuff and, and right up my street. We also talked about the, the Kenner uh, Palatoy paperwork haul that I um, that I got hold of, which uh, I think was about I think show 12. We discussed that. I'm still working through those. And of course, one of my favorite things of the year was, was the coloring poster. So the vintage uh, print of Frank uh, Sirocco's art for the underproduced penna poster. And lumped in with that, uh, I managed to get hold of, obviously Mark, uh, Mark sold me the, um, the Talon set. I got a, a, an Empire sealed set, uh, a couple of unused Harley Copic posters from the Craftmaster range, which I was able to reunite with the Palatoy outer packaging that, that Jez stumbled upon in an antique shop in Reading. So quite a good year. Everyone's been very, very busy. Just you. Well, do you know what? I, I didn't think, well, I knew I had done an awful lot of Beyond the Tours. I'm not going to list it, but I bought um, an awful lot of Todd Chamberlain early on in lockdown. And I mean, it's still sitting in a box alongside my desk right now. And that's still to be sorted. But when I started looking at it, Mark, I think it was back in December's Farthest From last year that I bought a couple of Palatoy reseals off you, 3PO and PowerDroid. You also bought that Boba Fett off me Boba as well. Boba Fett at the same time, yeah, on the Star Wars card. Now, you obviously then fueled me a little bit during the year because I worked out I bought a further four Palatoy reseals off you, or to be resealed at R5, Ugnaught, Hoff Trooper and Bosk. And I can remember buying that fit off you and going, oh, I don't think you'll ever find a footer. And then you found me a footer. Do you remember? I, I, I do remember. And, and do you know what? <laughs> really? like. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how this stuff pops up. It really is. Really strange. And, and then I then I started, I started having a nose and I realised I'd bought, I've actually bought several other mint on cards this year. I'm not going to go through them, but quite a bit. And from that same sale that Grant, you bought the reseal, Luke and that off, I bought the Greedo because... I mean, he keeps getting about 1,200 quid on a Palatoy 20 back, and the bubble's still sealed on this, but it's they've cut it at the top to get the figure out, so I can handle that. It looks great on display and a fraction of the price. So, look, I bought a really nice Jew back early on in the year, really like that. I bought a Toltoy's laser pistol, which is nice. The, the hand, you're talking about the hand solo pistol now, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's a nice item, mate. You don't see many of them pop up in a Toltoy's box. No, so that's... That was quite a, quite an investment. And I started the loose run again because I haven't got that very far with it, but I have done the likes of Yak Face and a bunch of the last 17, a few of the first 12 before I'd get the... Um, thing. In fact, I think I bought a few of them off you, Mark, as well on that. <laughs> you're just like a dealer, Mark. Uh, uh, you, you're my bitch, mate. <laughs> yeah. And then the only... Obviously, my you know, I love my ceramic. I was thinking I haven't bought any Sigma this year, but I did actually. I've upgraded my R2 string dispenser. Simon sold his set, which had the scissors with it, so I haven't got it off him yet. I've told him to hold on to it until I see him, but um, so I do need to move mine on. If anyone's listening, that wants an R2 string dispenser. It's mint. It's just not got the scissors with it. It's got the box and everything. 
And I can remember a couple of years ago doing a show about a bit of bootleg like UFO looking ceramic. It's a lamp. It's got like a little R2-D2 between the legs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had one of those and, um, yeah, sorted me out with that when he was moving that on. So a great fun piece. Um, just very tempted to change the plugs. I've got a few bootleg lamps from like the 1970s. Yeah, quite tempted to change the plugs on them get them on but you'll need them in the bar surely in the bar in oh the in the bar, bar. <laughs> tiki bar get all these lamps out while i'm having a bar soak <laughs> it's been a very heavy beyond the toys year do you think that's a that's telling though that it is it, it's stuff that's away from the main toy line that we've all got into the problem is with us with us for i would say that we've always dabbled in beyond the toys oh heavily but i mean i looked at my list and there's there's nothing from the, the toy line at all in a year closest thing was the um the chad valley projector that uh, i bought off mark nice you boys uh, if we if we were in prison you'd like to be on your hands and knees hands and knees when, when you walked into my cell i'll tell you Fucking grouty <laughs> I mean, I've been buying other bits and pieces from quite a few different toy lines as well, but we won't go into that. Yeah, I think that's uh, been a big area for me this year. And um, I think now I know my garage is going to get done. I think in my head, I know there's going to be space there. And I keep thinking, oh, that would look nice in a cabinet. Oh, that would be a nice run in a cabinet. Good good year all in by the sounds of it. We've all had a a successful year. Let's move on to 2020. The year started. I'm sure we were all, you know, I had so much to look forward to at the beginning of the year and including events. And then obviously... Covid hits, we're just locked down. I mean, everything's cancelled. I had three holidays booked earlier in the year, all of them gone. It was absolutely gutting, really. So, how have you all found the year? I mean, I've been out working, but I think you three were actually locked down. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. So, with regards to Star Wars, how what how do you? I know we've just said we're buying stuff, but how have you spent your time? I know. I mean, we started up the podcast as kind of as lockdown started, so it's. It's been a massive distraction. Craig, how many videos have you done this year? I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's kept you busy. That that has That is my answer, really. I mean, I have, have been buying things. I haven't, um, you know, I work for myself. I, I was working from home anyway. So when we all had to stay at home, it wasn't a big change for me. The only difference was that, you know, Kimberly was around a lot more. But I haven't, um, I, I did put one display cabinet together for all the factors and the Weingroff jewelry stuff, the jewellery stuff. So there's a bit of that going on. But a lot of my Star Wars time has been spent doing this. It has been a wonderful distraction. And, you know, we, we started off recording the shows back in, when did we do those? It was, it was kind of January, wasn't it? We started yeah, putting, them was... in the, putting them in the can, uh, as, it, as it were. And, and that was, you know, massively outside my comfort zone. Do you know what I mean? I had to kind of get my head around that. And then, you know, we got into it a few a few months and then we did the enhanced version of the helix thing and everyone's like this is this is great we should do this i was like yeah we we should so once that bar is there and it's raised a little bit you're kind of racing to to meet it every time and 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 push it further if you can so and i've and i've loved it i've loved it i'm not gonna lie you know it's it's been great and it's it's taken me into areas of star wars that i would never have normally explored and you know i feel all the more richer for uh for doing it i must admit i uh, yeah you're the same obviously i've done podcasting for a few years but it's been really nice to record with such good friends and getting to know craig and mark better you know you both but getting to know better on you obviously grant jez Sai quite well on you dan burgess quite well but the team that's come together it's nice to be doing stuff with you boys as well i think yeah, we've got a good atmosphere of quite, quite relaxed isn't it it's a uh, it's nice to to just chew the fat sometimes i wish i could say the same to you i really do <laughs> I mean, but what about you, Mark? What else have you spent the year doing? For me, lockdown hasn't really meant much of a difference. You know, I work on my own from home. 
all my business is done, you know, through email and over, over, you know, online. I've not really noticed any difference. For somebody that doesn't really like people, there's a bit of a hermit <laughs> and a, a bit of a misanthrope. It, it is perfect. Lockdown's been perfect. You know, people have to stay away from you. Social distancing has to be implied. So if you're sitting in a, a restaurant, the table's two metres away. To, to me... They should carry it on, as far as I'm concerned. But in terms of Star Wars, you know, Mandalorian, this the past few months, that's kept me and my lad absolutely enthralled. I've rejigged some of my cabinets. That's kept me busy. Obviously, adding certain things, selling some some things as well to fund other purchases, keeping it fresh, moving it around, collecting other lines. Got back into that. I, I was really sort of heavily into that about four or five years ago when I was collecting everything from He-Man, Thundercats, Battlestar Galactica, Book Rogers, loads of stuff. And I ended up getting rid of all of that to concentrate on vintage Star Wars. And now I've swung around again. I've, I've sold some vintage Star Wars and I'm now buying other lines again. Yeah, that, that has kept it fresh for me and it's it's kept my years sort of hand in the game. So, uh, yeah, um, it's been a good year all around, really. We're going to be looking at... Um... Our show tonight is going to be focused on prices, really, from Star Wars. What about the other toy lines? Are you seeing a rise across the board in vintage toys? Absolutely, 100%. And I think this is true of a lot of collectors. You, you get to a certain stage with a, with a certain line, say Star Wars, for example, and you find yourself thinking, right, well, the stuff that I want is getting harder and harder to find or afford. And you start getting sort of, your eye starts to sort of move towards other things because you've seen the prices for other lines being relatively cheap compared to, you know, the Star Wars vintage stuff, especially. A lot of people that had Star Wars back in the day had other lines. So I had uh, some Black Hole stuff. I had some uh, He-Man and Thundercats and all these other different toy lines. So you do still have that nostalgia. Uh, It's just not strong. Um, But that doesn't mean to say that you can't, sort of dabble in it and buy the odd piece here and there and of course what happens is you, you get two or three items and you think oh crikey quite fancy getting this to put on display next to it and then that and then this and before you know it you've got a whole section dedicated to another line other lines i've definitely seen prices rise yeah and how about you grant i know that you've been rejigging your collection around yeah, we, we, we went into lockdown two or three weeks before the country did because I, I live with my mother, I care for my mother and so I was sheltering her and, and I pretty much didn't see anyone for the first eight to ten weeks of lockdown. That period there was probably the most I've enjoyed my collection in decades just because it was a time to sort of um, use that time to go in there and do jobs that have been outstanding for 26 years. And, and that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to go in and, and you know, put lights into the, the cabinets and rearrange all of these stuff and open up the boxes and see what was in there, put stuff on for sale. I did a bit of arts and crafts as well because I had like, I don't know, it must have been about 120 tops card wrappers. And I thought, well, if I could get some sort of sort of sort of like a polystyrene kind of thing and wrap the wrapper around it, it could make it look like a full box of wrappers. So there's a bit of arts and crafts involved and, and just making the displays look really nice. You know, uh, I bought a lot of acrylic as well from GW Acrylic, especially the, the mint in box stuff. And it was really nice to have stuff. I mean, I, I got an acrylic box for a vehicle maintenance energizer that I bought back in February 1995 and to finally put that in an acrylic case and know that it's all safe and safe and protected was it was just great it was great fun it was great fun to, to to lose myself in it I felt really grateful that I had a hobby that I could switch off for an hour or two and forget about all the craziness that was on the news 
I, I don't really know what I would have done without the uh, without the hobby. And and now the collection room is finally looking really nice. But some of those jobs needed to be done decades ago, and I've just been putting it off and off. And I think subconsciously the reason why I did put them off is because I knew that it was a huge job. And finally this year we've managed to spend hours and hours and hours making it look really nice. There's there's certain things in collecting which are quite difficult to display, but you do come up with some quite uh, quite original ideas and some. You know, perhaps it's an area to touch on because I, I believe all, all of you actually have some quite good um, ideas when it comes to displaying. But I know, Grant, that, you know, um, for example, stickers or maybe badges or something. I know you you sometimes come up with some quite original ideas to, to display them. So um, definitely an area I think we maybe should touch on in the future on the show. Yeah, it's the, the most bizarre thing was having to have a, a an office in the Star Wars room. So when I'm, when I'm on Zoom calls, obviously behind me I've got a nine-foot-tall Darth Maul, I've got a cabinet full of carded <laughs> figures, and constantly people, like our clients, are going, are you, are you working in the toy shop? <laughs> and, uh, and then we have to get the meeting back on track because everyone wants me to do a tour of the bedroom, and every now and then I might play with my action figures in front of the camera just for a laugh. It's, it's been a really bizarre year, but I told them I had a Star Wars collection before I took the job. I just did, they probably didn't think it was going to be a part of this year's uh, business discussions. It looks like we all kept ourselves quite busy with um, different things, you know, surrounding the hobby. But the, but the main thing that we wanted to discuss tonight with regards to 2020 was the state of the hobby. Now, I don't know whether you boys agree with this, but as we went into lockdown, I was expecting the prices to, to level off and perhaps even drop. I mean, job security was at risk and um, I was expecting to see floods of sales as lockdown went on with people needing funds. But it didn't really happen. And where prices were concerned, it really has been quite the opposite. What, what did you boys think would happen with the hobby? Were you expecting it to drop or did you did anyone foresee what has happened? I, I... 100% expected prices to level and drop, essentially, because like you've just said, I just think people thought, hmm, cracky, not working at the moment, need some funds, whatever, and uh, time to get rid of the collection. That has, I've seen a couple of people sort of offload collections, but it hasn't quite been the um, exodus that a lot of people were predicting, that's for sure. For me, I think it was a, judging by auction prices and Facebook prices, I think it's a question of a lot of people were bored. A lot of people had mortgage holidays or didn't have holidays to fund. So uh, they'd got like holiday fund money in the bank. They weren't going out as much, but socialising as much. People sort of placed on further, just sitting around, bored. So, you know, collectors ultimately are going to collect. And I think competition was very, very strong. And that's driven prices up, as we will see very shortly. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. We heard it in the beginning, didn't we? Grant said he was 250 quid better off a month because of petrol. Yeah, you're right. I think the cancellation of holidays and all that kind of stuff was sitting on funds. I actually thought that it was going to be the absolute opposite. I've never been so wrong in my life. I thought the prices were going to crash and people were going to sell off their collections because of the impact of, you know, job loss. And it's been the absolute opposite. Not even crashing. I just didn't expect people to be buying. I mean, I know people maybe not had the, maybe not going on holiday, but if you're sitting at home and you've, your job is, is on shaky ground, you would think, oh, I'll keep the money there for a a rainy day you know it really wasn't like that and i think it was the auctions the first couple of auctions we saw that you really realized just how high the prices went i mean i sat there on some of those auctions and had some bids but was blown out of the water on the majority stuff because prices had just suddenly just rocketed so let's move on to the to the auctions i 
I've pinpointed four auctions in the show notes that I thought were were maybe the ones where where we saw some um, some crazy sales. Now, Mark, I'm going to come to you first. The C and T auction was the first one, beginning of April. This was quite a quite a palatoy heavy auction, wasn't it? This was. For me, this was the benchmark because this was the first auction that was in lockdown and there was a, a bit of debate on whether it would go ahead or not. And, um, it, you know, obviously it went ahead. Like I say, this was the benchmark. This was the, the sort of litmus test to see where prices were going to go in terms of bidders. Were there going to be, was it going to be, you know, clambering for the items or was it going to be a hard sell? I had this debate with quite a few people at the time that I knew were bidding on certain items. And I was thinking, God, quite a lot of people are interested in this auction. I think competition is going to be quite fierce. And these are just the people that I know of. So in those terms, yeah, it was an interesting auction. And uh, it was basically of older people who had, they weren't collectors. They just bought pieces. They, they were game collectors, I believe, first and foremost. And they sort of dabbled in other things. They, they weren't necessarily Star Wars collectors or toy collectors. They, they, they concentrated on board games. And um, they just happened to buy the odd Star Wars item here and there and from back in the day. And the condition, and this was crucial, I think, in terms of where the prices ended up at, the condition of some of this stuff was exceptional. And I think that's why prices were so strong. Although I, I do think it would have been a you know a strong auction anyway. But there was a couple of pieces in there that uh, you know you just don't see in that kind of condition. There was a Palatoy three-way laser rifle, and the box was absolutely gorgeous. And for me, that was one of the biggest bargains actually. <laughs> funnily enough, I think that just went over five hundred pound plus fees. Which even with the, the fees added on, I, I think that was an absolute golden purchase. I really do. And yeah, there, 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 was, there was just some absolutely cracking items. I even managed to win uh, one of the lots that I was after. And it was the, the main piece that I was after, which was the Cheryl uh, Star Wars C-3PO costume in a box with the mask and the, uh, the suit. It's a UK thing. And they, they just don't seem to crop up in any kind of condition, let alone a, a box one in this condition. So uh, yeah, I was um, uh, very, very happy to have won that auction because it was a piece that i'd been after for a long time was there, was there any bargains in there i mean i'm just i've just been having a little flick through i mean all right i, I think it's still kind of overpriced but but a trilogue yak face 800 quid i mean they've been selling for 12 13 1500 pound haven't they in recent months yeah there were some bargains there was a, a palatory dagger bar boxed playset was unused Anything unused Palatoy is is gold dust as far as I'm concerned, especially from Star Wars and Empire. Return of the Jedi, not so much. I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of dead stock out there. But Empire and, and Je- uh, Star Wars and Empire stuff unused is just, if you see it, buy it. And there was a Dagobah playset, which you just don't come across at all. Uh, that went for 260 plus fees. Now, as far as I'm concerned, again, that was, a, that was an absolute golden purchase it was um I, I i would have liked that myself but i i was just watching my money at that particular time there's a there's a glassly luke skywalker min on card here 440 quid that seems quite uh quite it's, reasonable it's, it's, you're not far off that for a loose one no but then then i look at so alongside that on the same page and um, there's a there's a box of of loose okay there's a handful of weapons in there let me just run you through the figures that are in there. So you've got the Rebo band, but there's no piano in there. I can't see whether the instruments are in the thing. Uh, ATST driver, Reese, Biker Scout, Emperor, Leia Bouche, Prune Face, Emperor, Hoff Stormy without the skirt, Stormtrooper, Klaatu, uh, Chirper, Low Grey, a Wampa, a Rebel Commando, 
a Tonton, and a couple of more Stormtroopers. Okay. You mean That's... a Tonton? <laughs> Don't you start. That sold for five hundred pounds. Now, for me, that sounds and looks. I mean, the Stormtroopers look yellow. Yeah. That, that feels really high on the high side. There's and no exceptional figure in there, is there? I think that's true of a lot of loose, jumbled lots across auctions, uh, across every auction. Uh, the prices for loose figures specifically are incredibly strong. I, I mean, when you add it up, when you add the fees and you uh, sort of piece it out and you think, I can get that that's worth that much, that's worth that much, that's worth, you, you're paying retail and beyond. So whoever's buying these, whoever's hoovering up these loose lots, I don't know what they're doing with them. Whether they get, you know, I, I don't know. No. <laughs> it's the honest answer. I don't know who's buying them at those prices because you're not telling me a collector is buying these items because unless, uh, if you've got that kind of money to spend and you are a collector, you are going to be relatively picky about what you buy. You're not really going to want to invest a huge chunk of money on what is essentially run-of-the-mill, average condition stuff that's missing parts, uh, missing accessories, which is where the money is for a lot of the, the, these items anyway. It makes no financial sense whatsoever. So then you're left with dealers. Now, when you add it up, like I say, I, I just don't see where people are making any money on these items. It's, it's, it's madness. No, um, I've just been scrolling through actually. There's a big job lot of corkboards here. I bought them. I completely forgotten about that. They've just been boxed up. Could would never have remembered them if you'd given me all night to write down my list. Forgot about them. That's much to you. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot all about them. It's, uh, yeah, look forward to getting them out in, a, in the future. I'm just looking through it. I, I don't know whether this is because, I mean, Vectis are, are more well known and the Aston's auction is pretty well documented, but there is some, there is some cheap stuff here. Actually, when I go through it, there's there is actually some bargains in this um lot, like the micro collection. A lot of it was sold for like fifty quid or less. I mean, that's that's good prices um, yeah, for some small, of it. Small sets, but they they are relatively common and easy to find in in that sort of condition, uh, unused. Because whatever did make it over to UK shores, I, I don't think sold. And I think that's true of uh, US sales as well. It was one of those sort of shelf um shelf warmers peg warmers if if you will they are very easy to find unused mint so uh, with fees yeah relatively cheap but you know not uncommon no quite a nice auction actually when you go back and look through the the catalogue there and what what they achieve there's um it's definitely a a good auction and uh yeah a nice way of starting the year but we move on to a vectors auction which was the end of may there were some strange sales in this lot now grant you've you've had a little nose at this what stuck out from you for for this uh, auction this was another good auction in fact um, the majority of the auctions this year have been really good if you ask me but this auction needed to be i think needs to be highlighted because a lot of the stock come from an ex paddy toy employee so there was there was a lot of uh paddy toy cards obviously within this auction lot paddy toy highly desirable paddy toy also has quite an expensive price tag attached to it now i'm not a paddy toy expert mark you you collect paddy toys correct Yes. Yeah, you might need to help me on this one a little bit. But uh, so, so to start off, the first thing that really stuck out to me was the Meccano Square Card Luke Farmboy. Uh, that managed to fetch a price of five thousand pounds. So that puts it up there with the you know the Paddy Toy Twelve back Luke Farmboy as well. I thought five thousand pounds. That's that's quite quite a huge amount of money there for 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 that Meccano card. There was one for sale on eBay this year with a with a with a crack in the bubble. Which went for seven hundred pounds, and I think you know that 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 kind of feels like a a bit of a bargain considering the one in the auction went for five thousand pounds. 
there was a Paddy Toy 30 back. Orgnor, all of these are from an uh, ex Paddy Toy employee. £1,600, Mark. Does that sound right for a Paddy Toy 30 back, Orgnor? Well, I think there was um, a couple of issues with that particular figure as well. And I, I think that price was, was incredibly good, to be fair. Really? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think it was um, in, in terms of good for the seller. For the buyer, uh, I think it was quite a strong price. Right, okay. You know, if, if we go back like 10 years, I would have been really comfortable with giving valuations on stuff. But these days, I, I just, I, I, I literally don't have a clue. It seems to fluctuate massively. I'll uh, backs at the moment. I, I mean, these things tend to have cycles, don't they? Certain things at a certain time seem to drive, everybody wants them at the same sort of time, like tri-logos or miss cards or mechanics yeah. cards. And I think at the moment, Palatoy, this year, Palatoy 30 backs have been the thing to get hold of. It, it does feel like that, doesn't it, the 30 backs? I mean, we had that Death Squad Commander that sold, what was that, for 26k? That went for, yeah, 20, uh, 25,000 plus 30% fees. That that was the, the lot so there was um, five figures, wasn't there, in that lot? Oh, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 30, £32,500 that lot went for. Wow. Yeah, it does seem It does seem that the Panny Toy 30 back is where everyone seems to have their passion at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, like I say, these things, for whatever reason, tend to go around in cycles. It's it's, it's bizarre. Well, one of the figures, uh, I really like this figure. Um, I would have loved to have added it to my collection, but there's no way I could afford it. It was a Pally Toy General Mills Empire Strikes Back Black Best Bingard on an Imperial Commander 45 back card back. Fantastic miscard there. Really unusual. I haven't seen many General Mills Miss cards. I don't know if you guys have. That's the first one I've ever seen with with that figure combination. A, a absolutely outstanding uh, sort of mismatch. Definitely one in a million that one. Yeah, I, I just thought I would love to add, add that to my collection, but obviously people with bigger pockets also felt the same. To me, it was the most interesting thing that was in this auction. A really lovely piece, super super rare, highly desirable, just a lovely piece. On the cheapest scale, one of the ones that surprised me was a Panny Toy Empire Strikes Back forty five bag. Boba Fett on the card, five hundred and twenty quid. Yeah, that was that was that was a bit of a bargain. That was, uh, but again, I think that had, that 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 card had condition issues. I think there was maybe uh, cracks in the bubble. As far as I can remember, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. But going on my memory, I think there were there were a couple of issues with the card. Otherwise, that would have been for a lot lot more. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I just don't see Boba Fetts on any card go for five hundred and twenty quid these days. They all seem to be at least four figures. Especially Paltoy ones. I mean, we haven't yeah. got really sort of dropped on. Really, we're very lucky. What, what was the what was the price on the Boba Fett that went? What, that, that was a thirty back as well, wasn't it? That went a couple of years ago. Was that about twenty one k? I think it finished at uh, over twenty thousand pounds with fees, didn't it? I, I think it sold for eighteen thousand with uh, with fees 18. on top. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's about four or five years ago, that is, isn't it? Yeah. You know, some amazing cards that have popped up. Uh, another, another thing that interested me was I noticed that there was a Paddy Toy Empire Strikes Back 45 back Hoff Stormtrooper for £1,300 and a Paddy Toy Empire Strikes Back 45 back TIE Fighter Pilot for £560. And the reason I highlighted these two, £560 for the TIE Pilot, £1,300 for the Stormtrooper, is that these were probably, except for the C-3PO with the removable limbs, the figures mostly caught up in that Toy Tony debacle from years ago. Are these the 45? Five Bs. 45 Bs. Yeah. But obviously, as they've come from a, a Paddy Toy 
employee. These are original 45Bs, you know, with the crack bubbles and everything, and yeah. they haven't been assembled post-factory. And I, I was surprised to see this the 45 by TIE Fighter Pilot, the 45B, to get one that isn't a Toy Tony is quite difficult. 560 grand is still a lot of money. But I was really surprised to see the Hoff Stormtrooper. I mean, that, that figure was famous because it had all the iron marks on the bubbles, if you yeah. can remember that. 1,300 pounds. So that 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 was uh, that was a, that was another surprise for us. Uh, I just want to highlight three more figures. I think from from uh, the auction just to get just get a view on it. A Kenner Return of the Jedi, forty eight back. So Kenner now Return of the Jedi, forty eight back with the Paddy Toy White sticker. This was an R two D two sensor scope. Pretty pretty easy, pretty common to find R two D two sensor scope on the Kenner card. But with the Pally Toy sticker, the white stick on the back, not the black one, the white one, £1,300. Does that make sense? Was that, was that the 45B, did you say? No, it's a Return of the Jedi Kenner. Oh, 48 Kenner. Back. Right. So it's a 48 back Kenner. Pretty standard, common Return of the Jedi card, but with the white Pally Toy stick on the back, £1,300. Uh, again, I think that's Pally Toy collectors for you. Just <laughs> completely, uh, completely loopy. But, you know, clearly a rare thing. Uh, somebody's seen something on that it's it can only be the sticker on the back because the, the figure itself that that figure and card combination isn't a particularly rare one it's it's that sticker that's that's where the value is so, so someone's out there who's got that information isn't it who's, who's spotted that and thought well that's only the second one that's come up in 20 years or something like that it's it's a bit like the um return of the jedi is it the 65 back uh, luke x-wing you know the, the price for that one went through the roof I'm glad you talked about that. It's, it was this 65 pack that was that went through the roof, was it? I I, I can't remember. It was a, it was a Jedi Luke X-wing. I can't remember which which card it was. Right, because there was one in this auction, Paddy Toy Return of the Jedi 45B X-wing, one thousand seven hundred pounds. So I'm guessing it's the 65 pack is the, probably the super rare one then. It was the one figure that people were absolutely losing their the minds over, thinking, why, why are people paying up for it? But it goes back to what I said earlier, that, you know, certain times, certain figures on certain card backs seem to be flavour of the month. And I think there's been like three or four collectors who have decided that Palatoy 45Bs are the way forward and they want to start buying those. And uh, what happens then is it just creates like a furore to, to, to get hold of these figures and it just drives the price up. Uh, whereas 45Bs only a, a few years ago, you couldn't give the bloody things away. Yeah, I'm thinking like there's probably plenty of us out there who've got that gap on our spreadsheet and that gap's been there for 10 years. Yeah. And then finally this figure comes up in an auction and you think, I'll just go I'll just go crazy. Exactly. Um, so, so the final two figures I wanted to highlight, there was a Meccano Return of the Jedi 65 back Yan Solo. £2,300. It's a lovely figure. It's nice to see, you know, Meccano Return of the Jedi figures. They seem to be worth a lot of money now these days. Easily over... Remember, they used to be about 1000 1500 for some of the bog-standard Meccano Return of the Jedi figures. Once again, going up in price. And uh, the last one I want to highlight, Loose Final Cape Jawa. Uh, but the, the the cape was completely torn through the armhole. Two hundred and twenty pounds. I mean, that's a great entry level. It is, isn't it? Someone, yeah, someone who's who can't who can't drop a grand on a on a figure. That's a, a nice way of getting it. I mean, I'm sure you can display it with kind of covering up the the, the rips and somehow, but yeah, yeah it's a good yeah, exactly. yeah, good, good, good price. Uh, and and also, I've seen those vinyl cape jowls. I mean, they they've got graded ones. They go up for over a thousand pounds up on eBay. They go straight away. Can we just get one thing straight, right, before we go any further? Vinyl cape jowls are not loose ones, are not rare. 
correct. They're on eBay every day. If I want one, I can go and find one right now. This second, I can go and buy one right now. <laughs> Have you got Is that one, a challenge, Mark? Mark? Go on then. No, seriously, <laughs> used to. You're the one with all the money, mate. <laughs> I've got one. I bought one at uh, Vectors last year, actually. Did you? How much did you pay for it, mate? I've got a good deal, actually. I think I paid about six sixty for it. I think yeah. the way I got mine for a good deal, because I think there was like three back-to-back, and it was wow. kind of like, yeah, I think um, you've got to have that many people want it at the moment. There was one for sale on the card on Facebook the other day. The card did have issues, like there was crease marks in the card for 6 k yeah, bargain, mate. You should have snapped that up. Do you know what? So, <laughs> looking around the house, what can I sell? <laughs> <laughs> the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a second mortgage out, you know. But a really decent price, I thought it was. It might have been about $8,000, around about £6,000, £7,000. But I thought it was a good deal. You know, the bubble was nice. It was just a few creases in the card. But at the end of the day, it was a carded vinyl cage hour. What, yeah. kind of, what kind of world are we living in when we can look at a, a little plastic toy on a, on a card uh, that isn't even classed as an antique and we think £6,000 is a good price? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's only because it's of what else is sold, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it is crazy. It's a crazy hobby that we're currently involved with. It's, uh, yeah, when you start looking at it objectively like that. It's only got worse and worse as years go by, mate. <laughs> and, and I, I dare say it'll get even worse, mate. Talking about about craziness, I just, in this auction, Grant, I just wanted to point out a few lots. There was a lot of lots of, like, beta ships. Yeah. Now, I've just, I've just pulled two up here. So the lot I'm looking at, you've got... You've got a falcon completely stripped apart from it. it has got the chess table in there. It's got a um, a land speeder in there, no windshield, and the spoiler on the back's missing. It looks like it's snapped. I didn't I didn't realise they came off. It's got an X-wing, no guns or anything. It has got the shield on that. A Tie fighter in there with no wings, so it's just got the body and an Imperial troop transport, but everything's kind of missing on it. Now that went that's over 130 quid. So you had the fees to that. You're talking about 160, 170 pound on that. It's ridiculous. And then the following lot after that, an Atat stripped, an Ewok village, which is purely the three tree stumps and the um, the actual deck at the top, and a land speeder which has got its windscreen. That also sells for 130 pound. Those prices for stripped things we've got no equipment. That seems ludicrous to me. I had a look at those, mate, and it did have me thinking. I wonder if someone's gone and had a look in those boxes and there's there's more than meets the eye because those prices are high for, for essentially beta ships. And you, couldn't view this, this, you couldn't view this auction. I have no idea, mate. I couldn't work out why <laughs> they went for so much money. There must be something in there. But it wasn't just one or two. If you go through the whole auction, there's quite a few lots like that and they were all at least double what I was expecting. Mind you, I've seen, seen quite a sharp rise in the amount of pieces of ships that have been sold on eBay. Where yeah. people have just taken them all apart and you can get you can get like you know the chassis or the wings or the canopy and and they seem to sell mate you know i'm looking for a b-wing wing if you could sort me out like you said <laughs> yeah definitely good yeah you just gotta keep hustling me mate i must admit <laughs> actually i i had um i had because i when i first got back into collecting i bought a lot of job lots and i had a lot of beta ships and there's a toy shop in my local my local town and i think it was probably the tail end of last year i sold him a ton of broken down ships. He paid 200 quid for, for the lot, but there was a lot in there. So whether I should have just kept hold of them and put them in vectors. Mate, they, in regards to the vintage stuff, mate, I think there's money in everything in it now. I've seen semi-used sticker sheets or instructions go for big money this year. Yeah, you know, if, you, if, if you've got the uh, Atat chain guns or the X-Wing guns, you can get really good money for those. 
Well, Craig, Vectors then had a, another auction, 20th of August. Um, I think there was a couple of other auctions of Vectors. I don't know whether they were before or after this, but I wanted to leave a bit of a gap. I wanted to know, I was wondering whether the price hike had sustained, whether the items in this auction were also sky high. Yeah, this was, um, I don't think this was a headline grabber like some of the ones that we're, uh, we're going to talk about tonight, but it was, it was a general TV and film sale. 523 lots, about 106 of those are Star Wars. And then you take out some of the bits of modern, you're looking at around 70 listings for, for vintage stuff. I mean, I've been been through it and speaking personally, there was nothing in there that was massively inspiring to me, but that's me. That's me. Lots of common ships in OK boxes if you wanted a Rebel Transport. There were five of those. Lots of model kits that all came with a disclaimer, not checked for contents or completeness, which is like, who's, who's going to buy those? I mean, the highlights for me, there was, um, or, or bargains rather, there was a there was a Palatory Destroy the Death Star game, which I've always had quite a soft spot for, because I think the, the logo on the front there is delightfully wonky. Again, for me, it's a, it's a bit of an underrated uh, early UK piece. Um, they're quite large, so the boxes do get scuffed and kicked about a bit. It wasn't immaculate, and I haven't cross-referenced the, the playing piece but it had the instructions uh, and i'd say that was a good buy for somebody at um at 40 pounds no no question admittedly i'm not the best person to comment on mock rarity or prices there were about 20 listed and uh, yeah please feel free to chip in on these i mean there were a few i mean just going by the guide prices and what what were realized there were a by and large, they kind of stuck within those parameters. There were a few that uh, that, that made a bit more. Um, there was a, a Kenner ESB Power Droid, which um, was down as a, a as an estimate between 200 and 300 pound, went for 440. Uh, an ESB Han Solo Bespin that was down for 140 uh, to 160, that went for 260. And uh, there was a, a Kenner um, FX7, well, an Empire card. 140 to 160 went for 300. So a few bits there that kind of went above. Um, notable kind of foreign things that caught my eye, which were quite interesting. So it was a, a Meccano IG88, uh, which which is uh, quite uh, quite appealing. But that was down for between four and six grand. Uh, went for uh, 2,400. Yeah, it was a bit of a billy bargain that, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, compared to what they were predicting it to do. Yeah, they, they clearly thought they had something special. And there was a, a couple of Takaras as well. So there was a, there was a Chewie and a Luke, both 12-back uh, uh, Takara cards. And they were they were estimated between a, a grand and two grand. Uh, Chewie went for 1,200. But Luke went for 700, which was like way under and kind of almost half what, what Chewbacca went for. So Yeah, when, when you look through this auction, you definitely it definitely feels like the stuff that should have been a bit highly priced went a bit under the radar. And now I've got a feeling this was the auction where so Simon after the um after one of the Vectors auctions had the really high priced Trilogo sale. He decided to sell his Trilogos after that um, okay. auction. And he I think he drove them up to um to Vectors the following day. Now he, he lives down on the south coast and he drove them up to uh, just outside Middlesbrough, isn't it, in Stockton? Mm-hmm. And I think he was happy, but I don't think the prices went quite like that first auction. So whether it was a bit more under the radar, I don't know. Yeah, there were nine. There were nine tri logos. They all went between 120 pound, which was Rebel Commander, and um, there was a the highest was 380 for an EV99. That IG88 Meccano is lovely. Mm. Two thousand four hundred pounds. There's a load of uh, Meccanos 
on eBay now. I've never seen so many square carded Empire Meccanos for sale, uh, and they're a lot more than £2,400, that's for sure. That's from that uh, French um, online seller, Lulu Baloo, or something like that, isn't it? Oh, is it? They, uh, they, they've got a huge shop in Paris, I believe. Mm. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they do have real good bargains every now and again, and it's always the stuff that is, is real under the radar, beyond the toys items, I've noticed. Stuff that your average Joe probably wouldn't pick up on, but you think, oh, crikey, that's cheap. And then stuff like those square cards are punchy, uh, uh, to say the least. Yeah, 12 back, uh, like you said, Craig, sorry, uh, 12 back Takara Luke Skywalker, £700. I think that's a massive bargain. I, yeah, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just looking through it. I think generally, I mean, there's a lot of general toys in here. But I don't think the prices were definitely down, actually. This this looked quite a good auction to, to get yourself a bargain if you were still in the early days of collecting. Reasonable old school prices, aren't they? The yeah. kind of prices that we, we used to, you know, about 10 years ago. Very different from the ones we saw early on. The, uh, the only other thing, uh, the uh, the pop card back. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Empire Strikes Back. Hot Stormtrooper. That's just a card, and that went for £520. So. I mean, card back's a big business as well now, aren't they? A crazy, crazy world. So that leads us on to probably the most interesting auction, I think, of the year on the 29th of October. Now, Mark, you looked at this. Uh, this was this was going to be Aston's last ever auction, which I think, I think the sellers could have done better, although they did really well. But the um, items for sale had quite an interesting backstory on this sale, didn't they? Yeah, this this was, like you say, this was the most interesting auction of the year by a country mile in terms of the find and in terms of what was what was found. Just incredible. And it goes to prove that this stuff is still out there and not just in small quantities. Garage houses full of this stuff and it's just amazing even now even today we're coming across these finds and it's so exciting and like i say this one was the auction uh which was most interesting for several factors like say the the way that this came about was this chap in Stourbridge in the midlands died and uh, by all accounts he was we didn't have any family, so he left his house and contents to his elderly neighbours. And they originally thought, oh, he's got a garage full of stuff, he's got a house full of stuff, we'll just hire, a skip, hire some skips and we'll skip it and we'll sell the house. That's where the real money is. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely wrong. The contents of the house, specifically his uh, collection of toys, which he'd clearly hoarded, he, he didn't come across, he certainly didn't come across as a, a collector in the same way that you or, or us uh, are, are collectors, you know, we condition, displays, online presence, going out there to toy fairs and buying and knowing in the community. He was, he, he looked like a bit of a hoarder because the condition of some of the boxes, it was basically the, the carded figures were literally stuffed in bin liners and, and put into a, a garage. The condition of some of the boxes was absolutely atrocious. And we'll get to those in a minute. But he left his uh, entire house and contents to this uh, old couple he lived next door to. And they, uh, I think, realised something like uh, £400,000 just on the, 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 the sale of this this auction of science fiction toys, basically, and other toys besides. <laughs> but, and here's the big but, and this is why this auction is interesting, they could have made awful lot more had they done just a tiny bit more homework and not used Astons, because I don't, I think Astons did them a disservice. They could quite easily have had this auction over two days, 
um, had two or three experts go in and pull out some of the standout items and sell those individually. There was there was several lots uh, in this auction that should have been sold piecemeal. They shouldn't have been grouped together, and I'll get onto that in a minute. They could have raised a, a, an awful lot more money had Aston's done a bit more homework. And uh, th- this felt very much like a smash and grab type auction. It was Aston's last. And if you look at some of the terms and conditions, it was payment by debit card only uh, upon completion uh, of the auction. You couldn't attend the auction in person. It was only online. You couldn't even phone a bid during. Uh, It was only online. You had to arrange your own courier. And it stipulated that once these items had sold, that was it. You were left with it. And believe you me, I strongly believe a lot of people would have bought these items not being able to check them over, although they, they did have, um, they were allowed to go and view these these items at the auction at a prearranged um, time and date. Uh, but if you were unable to do that, then you were basically going off photographs. I would imagine there'd be a lot of people out there who would be upset with some of the condition that these items came back in because I know a few people that went along to the viewing days and said, you know, be careful. If, you do, if you're bidding on this, be careful. It's got this condition. It's got that condition. There's a split on that bubble. It's lifting on that side. So you, if you were going to put down a chunk of money on anything, you better make sure you're going to do your homework uh, specifically for this auction. So, yeah, I, 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 going back to the, 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 the salad, yes, it was a lot of money, but they could have made an awful, a substantial amount more if this auction had been done over two or three days and lots had been separated out by somebody who knew what they were talking about and could identify pieces that there would have been more of a fight over if they were just the the one item. So the star of the show that everybody was sort of uh, amazed by was uh, one, just one of the uh, Vinyl Cape Jowers on a Palatoy card. Um, That realised 22,000 plus 30% fees. That was the other thing, 30% fees. And there was a 3% online charge included in that which to me when you're not given an option on how to bid either in person or on the phone you're only given the option to bid online to say then that you are going to be charged three percent on top of your uh, fees for bidding online i think is is outrageous absolutely outrageous so unfair and when you're spending twenty two thousand pounds three percent is an awful lot of money the final cape jail on the policy card that was twenty eight thousand six hundred pounds with the fees um which <sighs> crazy still only is it single figures that, that that item still exists in i don't think it's uh, is it eight or ten of those known to exist in collections there was also one with a, a, a nameplate cut uh, that realised, and that was with uh, another cloth cape palatoy jower with the nameplate cut, and both had uh, Hamley's price stickers labels, which had quite a nice touch. They should definitely stay together, I think. And um, I, I know the person who bought these, and uh, eight thousand eight hundred pounds plus fees. So you're looking at over just over eleven thousand pounds for those two figures with uh, cut nameplates. Uh, Thirty back. Death Squad Commander, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast, and that lot included a Palatoy Imperial Commander 30-back, a 41-back ATAT driver Palatoy, a Kenner Yoda, and a 30-back Palatoy IG-88. That lot 
The five figures sold for £25,000 plus 30% fees. £32,500, £32,500 with the fees. And, yeah, the, obviously the star of the show there was the 30-back uh, desk squad commander, which, again, exists in single figures, known single figures. There was a, a lot with a Partoy 41-back Tuscan Raider. Uh, six figures in this lot, £8,200 plus fees, so just over £10,500 uh, £10, £10, for that lot. And in that lot, there was a, a Partoy 30-back Rebel Commander, a Kenner Hoth Stormtrooper, a Kenner uh, Bespin Guard, Palatoy 30-back Ugnaught, which is quite nice, but I think I think that one had condition issues, and a Palatoy 30-back Lobot, which not exactly the hardest figure or most sought after. So uh, an awful lot of money. And get this, the guy who bought that lot wasn't after the 41-back Tuscan Raider, because that sold on eBay a couple of weeks later for £4,200. Whatever he was after, it wasn't the Tuscan Raider. He is, and, and to me, that was the money in the lot. Again, this goes back to what I was saying about if they'd have separated these items out, it would have made a lot more money. The one piece that, I, well, one of the one one of the pieces that I really would have liked to have owned and come away with and put several bids in was the Palatoy Probot set because anyone out there that collects Palatoy items will know that a Palatoy Probot set in any decent box is absolute hen's teeth. You, you just never see them. Condition is always an issue. This was mint unused. The box was pin sharp. And there was two yellow Palatoy Cantina and Land of the Jowers figure stands taped to the insert of the set. I've never seen that. That was a very strange thing to, to see those uh, figure stands taped to the insert of that set. It's bizarre. That went for £1,700 with the, with, with, with the fees. Uh, but that included a, an unused hot wamper and open belly Tauntaun. Tauntaun, Stuart. Tauntaun, not Town Town. Mark, I think that also goes for the um, Paddy Toy Imperial Attack base that was for sale there. Because uh, yeah. those are notorious for having, you know, really bad boxes. And that one looks literally, from the photos, chop fresh. Yeah, pin, pin sharp. And it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about unused stock Palatoy, Empire Star Wars era Palatoy stuff. It, it, you just never see it. It's so yeah. difficult to find. So it doesn't surprise me. I thought that that Probot set would, would probably have gone for about 750 plus fees. So you're looking at about £1,000. But yeah, it was uh, £1,700 it ended with fees. But it, it, it didn't surprise me because that's the first one I've seen in that condition. I, I thought this was the auction that had the really rare Paddy Toy Denga mailers as well. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm going to get to those. In, in, oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> in a minute. It's just, just, just old horses. <laughs> uh, there was a lot with a, a Paltoy Death Star, a US Kenner Death Star, and a Paltoy Star Destroyer. To me, I thought there was a, this was a good good buy at three three and a half thousand plus thirty percent fees. Took it up to four thousand five hundred. The Death Star, Paltoy Death Star. I mean, all three of these were, were unused. Uh, the Paltoy Death Star was gorgeous. There was a bit of warping on the box, but that could have been sorted out quite easily. Box was absolutely gorgeous. Contents, it's still in the bags. You know, wow, crazy. There were two lots. There were two lots in this that just left my head scratching completely. And the first one was the twenty-five assorted mini rigs and um, things like vehicle maintenance energizers and radar laser cannons and uh, tripod laser cannons. There were unused contents, and there was twenty-five of them. Okay, so it was a nice big lot. There's twenty-five of them. They were unused, but they were opened 
that lot went for £3,100 plus your 30% fees, which took it up to £4,000. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I do not see where the value is in that lot. How could that lot possibly have reached that amount of money? Absolutely madness. If you'd have pieced it out, you'd have, I don't think you'd have seen your money back. I just can't see it. Bizarre. And then the second lot, which again left my head scratching a bit, was 13 assorted vehicles. So there was three B-wings, two Y-wings. There was a Jedi box Falcon, a couple of tie interceptors, a few uh, speeder bikes. These boxes were totaled. You could have maybe saved uh, a couple of them, uh, put them right, and they, they would have looked acceptable. They were unused contents. I'll, I'll give you that. But with the fees, and bear in mind, these boxes were, were completely knackered. With the fees, these 13 assorted vehicles, run-of-the-mill stuff, I could go on eBay right now and buy one, £6,000. Yeah. Who is buying this lot for £6,000? Those boxes look like they've been stored in a jacuzzi. It it beggars belief. Who is just... I mean, I I guess what somebody's going to do here is they're going to sell the boxes separately, do what they can to put them right, sell the boxes separately. And get the in uh, the, the 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 main parts to it, the the, the the figures, the ships, and whatever. Get those graded. That's the only way, only way I can see anybody turning any kind of profit. And even then, even then, yeah. I just don't see it. I, I can't if, see how anybody would make any money on that. Like, it's madness. Even if you took the contents out and put them in really nice boxes, you're still far away from six k. If you went on eBay now. And so, say that one of those B-Wings in that condition box, unused, you're probably looking at, what, £250, £350 thereabouts. Yeah. How do you you get to six grand? (laughs) Somebody's clearly seen something in that lot that is worth decent money. If anybody can tell me where the value is in that lot, please let me know, because I would love to know. Um, It's the the Y-Wings. They both come with the bomb. That's what was missing. (laughs) Right, mate. I know. I know who to sell uh, complete box wirings to. From now, on. <laughs> now, going back to what you were saying, Grant, about these. Now, th- this is what collecting is all about for me. Is when this auction was advertised and we had a look at w- what was in there. The, the the star of the show for me, as far as I was concerned, was the eight Palatoy boxed Dengar mailers. This had three mailers taped together with a Palatoy address label on. First time I've ever seen that. It was just incredible. And I, I looked and I thought, that, that's going to be a five, six thousand pound lot all day long because where, where do you see it? Now, what happened was a group of collectors, and I'm not going to name any names here because I don't know uh, all of the names, but I do know that there, there was a few of the, the guys that we know who all chipped in, got together a consortium, and they managed to win the lot. And everybody got what they wanted out of that lot. And as far as I'm concerned, that is how it's done. And I think they ended up paying about £650 each for whatever they were. That's what it worked out at per figure and box. When you actually work it out, that's actually very cheap, considering I've seen them go for as much as £1,000 and plus. That's uh, a good box. deal. So, and and the people who wanted one got one, and that that's the main thing to me. Yeah, this wasn't somebody that was going to get them graded and flip them and make a profit on it. These were these these are going directly to people who had been chasing them, and that is fantastic. And I think the same went for the um, Palatoy 
Boba Fett mailers as well, which again, you, you just don't, you do not see them. This guy had five of them. And I think this is why the nameplates were cut on some of the figures. Clearly he bought them, cut the nameplates off, sent them away because all the address labels were to the same guy. So he was the original person that sent away to Palatoy for these figures. So these must have been bought back in the day. This wasn't some guy that was going around buying old shop shockums. I'm sure he did, judging by the, the amount of stuff that he had. But even back in the day, he was buying them, sending off, cutting the nameplates out, having them politically send them to him directly. So very, very interesting. Great stories behind some of these items. I'll just briefly mention some of the non-Star Wars lots were were grouped together in just ridiculous groupings, uh, clearly dealer lots. But even then, you know, they, they were selling for retail money. If you split them up, some of it was retail. I will say one of the Book Rogers uh, set uh, lots had the, um, the very rare Book Rogers flight hanger play set by Mego. And what wasn't known at the time, one of the guys who went to the viewing days told me that they discovered inside the box of, of that play set a full set of carded Book Rogers figures inside the box of the play set. How cool wow. is that? You know, it goes back to what we were saying about, you know, they hadn't done the homework. They hadn't done the homework. And if they'd have known about that, they could have had that out and had that as a separate lot. Yeah, it was the last auction, last auction from Aston's, but it just felt very much like a smash and grab. And I think they did cost the seller some money, but it was a fantastic auction. Some great lots came up. And I do know that several people that I know personally came away with items that they really wanted. So in, in those terms, great, fantastic. Happy days. Do you, do you guys think that's one of the strongest auctions we've had in terms of quality of goods? Easily. It must be, wouldn't it? One of the best finds. One of the best finds by far. I think that was one of the best uh, sections of the podcast we've ever done, Mark. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even had any beers yet, mate. <laughs> You've just got to find Mark's uh, Mark's passion there, haven't you? And let him go. That was a I great. Just, I really here, enjoyed Mark. listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, was, you know, after a year, after nearly a year, it's uh, starting to kick in. For all of you guys, though, obviously there's a lot of amazing things there. If you could choose one, what would it be, very quickly? Dengar Mailer. Uh, the, the three pack, the one that was, the, the, the three of them taped together. That, that that to me was a standout item. Yeah. Stu, Qui-Gon Chin. Yeah, <laughs> there, was a nice, there was a nice Power of the Force 2 job lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would probably take a carded bottle clip jail. I know it's a bit of a obvious answer, but yeah, I would appreciate that. Craig, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Although the, um, uh, as Mark said, the turret and probot playset in that box. I mean, I think I've upgraded mine about three times already, and still not, still not brilliant. <laughs> in fairness, the Palatoid Death Star as well with bagged items. Yeah, I mean that would have appealed as well. You could have sorted that box out. I had a good look at that box, and you could have sorted it out, and it would have looked like one of those ones from the Vectis auction three or four years ago. The, you know, the Palatoy employee where the case fresh, they come straight out of the box, and they were like shot fresh. You, you could have got it similar to that condition. They went for about 5K, didn't they? Yeah. Wow. And that, that was four or five years ago. I reckon, I, I think one of those sold not long ago for about, uh, I think it was about 10 grand, 10 to 12 grand. Seriously, Jesus. yeah, it, you, you just don't see them, you don't see them like that. They're always in nail boxes. Mine's nailed, interesting, interesting. Well, Mark, that was a great, uh, great overview. Interesting look at the auctions. So, moving it on, then we've, we've, we've discussed the price hike, we've, we've discussed certain items which fetched a lot of money. So, do you think these prices that we're now seeing are sustainable? And if we do see a drop in these prices, are we going to see these, um, 
these items disappear because are people going to sell for, for basically a massive negative equity you know invested a two thousand pound or something is suddenly worth 500 quid are they just going to put these things away in cupboards and lofts because until they, the prices rise again is it going to affect the market I've, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're buying this stuff to invest, and clearly there are people out there that are doing this, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and it's always a risky strategy. As a collector myself, I buy because I want the item. It's gotten very little to do with how much something is worth. Don't get me wrong, it's nice to know you have something of uh, value, but I get far more from an item by owning it and looking at it and displaying it than I ever will knowing that I'll be able to turn a profit on it. I think it's important to also know that the general sort of consensus about toys in particular is like people draw analogies with Action Man or Dinkies or Trains or Diecast or anything like that. And they say, oh, Star Wars will have its day. And then as we get older, prices will drop. There is one thing where that analogy doesn't hold any water. And that is the fact that you have got a company like Disney driving a pop culture phenomenon. And Action Man didn't have it. Dinky Cars didn't have it. In some ways, even things like Star Trek and Indiana Jones, they're not the same thing. You can't bag Star Wars in the same category with those items. With certain toys, you can. I, I guess, you know, there will always be a special place in our, our generation's hearts for these, these figures and toys and uh, ephemera and all that kind of thing. But I still think quality items quality quality rare items will always hold the value and increase do um, you think it's more likely instead of being like or, or comparable to vintage toys that star wars obviously because of disney and other reasons that it, it might be closer to compa- comparison with vintage cars or vintage vinyl records possibly possibly but even when you even when you talk about things like the Beatles or Elvis, you know th- th- that generation it, it, it dies off. You you still haven't got anything driving those uh, brands, if you will. Star Wars is a brand, and it's been driven. It's been driven hard at the mo- you, specifically at the moment, and for the foreseeable. Then I guess it's more relation to sort of like a a pop culture impact. So even though perhaps the Beatles generation have grown older now, they're younger generations that collect vinyl that seek out you know first edition beatles records but those 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 markets are, are quite niche this small we, we we're talking about a global a global cult <laughs> you know what i mean this this is what it is this it is, is, what it is, it is. It is. maybe it's, maybe it's more like a religious cult it's it's on another scale we haven't star wars is unique in that aspect it's completely unique in that aspect. Star Trek doesn't have it. It has fandom. Don't get me wrong. It has a global fandom. And it does have pop culture reference that that sort of bleeds into everyday life. Uh, but Star Wars it, it is, has taken on another life, thanks to Disney. And as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it, it could just go on and on and on for generations. And things like original Star Wars film posters... You know, I believe a lot of the historic, what I class as historical stars, so cast and crew items, early items, anything before 1977 with a Star Wars logo, for me, that's historical Star Wars. That stuff 
will only ever go up in value. As far as I'm concerned, if, if you're an investor, you're going to invest. Invest in that side of things. That side of things is is a surefire money winner, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Hopefully, mate. Hopefully. I just, go, go, going back to Steve's original question, have, have you guys got the Star Wars tracker that Jared Cope uses? Every week he publishes sort of like, you know, top five things that were sold. I think it was last week, a Yak Face, which was graded UKG 80, was sold for £2,700. There's no way that Yak Face will ever come back on the market at Yak Face prices. It would have to be reduced by about 50%. So there's a weird bubble there. Quality, I guess it's the same with anything. Quality will always sell. If one or two big money people out there looking to invest or collect want the best of the best, they're going to have to pay for it. And that's that's just the way it is. And that's true of most markets. It's, it's a difficult thing to to actually predict, isn't it? Be interesting to keep an eye on it because, like we said at the beginning, none of us predicted what's happened this year. I can't see it being sustainable, but I say that every year. And um, every year since I've been doing podcasting, it has gone up and up and up. So be definitely interesting to revisit this time next year. I just wondered if anyone had had a chance to to get an item and look at the current price of it and what the price was maybe one, two periods ago. I mean, a kind of a timeline of a, of an item. Obviously, Grant, you just said about using Tracker. You can actually look this data up on Tracker. Did did anyone kind of look into that? haven't got a, a specific item, uh, but this is something that me and, me and Grant talk about a lot, is, uh, is HC Ford, how that has gone from being a very every day you know tripping over them at cheap prices uh, range of items to being something that people are hell for leather trying to amass and the prices uh, reflect that and i remember i remember so clearly sitting in the uh, in the collecting track and and, and leaning over to, to to grant and saying you watch a couple of years um hc4 to be helix prices we were right yeah it happened yeah really bizarre to see um the vinyl pencil cases that were five pound on ebay for years and years and years being sold on our beyond the toys facebook page for 20 25 quid and just getting snapped up you know people really want that stuff man uh, on the uh on craig stevens phenomenon in britain page he, he posted up his hc4 collection the other day and there was some stuff that i've never seen it was absolutely amazing countertop displays i hadn't seen some super rare items it it, it has kind of mirrored the helix a little bit it's very interesting to see how that's evolved over the years but you're right craig the prices have dramatically changed thank god i'm not collecting all that stuff now i suppose people like like helix became very very fashionable didn't it i mean very fashionable the you're welcome shot, shot up. <laughs> yeah but, well precisely and i suppose once people do complete that kind of line they look at what is next and hc ford is a pretty natural progression isn't it from helix it is yeah so it is but it's, it for me it's got a fraction of the charm yeah yeah I don't know. They, they, the HC4 can draw an X-wing like no one else. <laughs> I did do a, a little checko on some current prices rather than looking historically, Steve. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, of course. I, I checked out the uh, the Meccano Square Car Jawa, cloth cape Jawa. If you remember, I, I, I was hoping Jez would be on this. Why isn't Jez on this podcast? Is he busy? Um, I think he's running around in a circle with a helmet on his head. <laughs> Standard. <laughs> um, so. So about seven years ago, we bought him a square card in Meccano Jawa for 90 quid. And it was factory fresh. And I can't remember why we did it. Can you remember? Probably because he's running around in a circle with a helmet <laughs> on his head. <laughs> yeah, probably. So anyway, so I thought I'd check out the Meccano Jawa because uh, I, I saw one on an eBay thread. So right now on eBay, the £90 Meccano Jawa from seven years ago, there was four of them for sale. 
at £600, £700, £748 and £823. So that's quite a price hike, but obviously those haven't sold yet. There were three that had sold. So there was two graded. There was a UKG80 for £460, which had eight bids on it, and a UKG85 for £545 with a best offer accepted, and a non-graded one with some creasing on it 17 bids at 175 pounds and what i found is like what i said earlier that if you if you if you asked me eight years ago the value or price of something i'd be really confident in 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 giving an estimation these days i mean we're, we're talking a, a, a range of 175 pounds to 823 pounds on one figure and i just really don't know i'm so confused with 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 how these prices are made i mean you guys must be sick and tired of me posting have you seen this or, or <laughs> you believe this has been sold for this i'm literally doing it all the time i need to have a word myself about it but i'm, I'm every day i'm constantly shocked that things are going for such extreme variance in prices i mean i'd, I'd have probably have to re reevaluate and reinsure my collection because obviously the the the, the there is there is a wide range of, of prices out there, whereas before it was a lot simpler when, you know, Return of the Jedi, Luke Jedi was, was 40 quid and a Royal Guard was 25 quid. I could deal with that, but these days, I, the variance is far too big to fathom. I mean, you just brought up the Meccano Square Card Jawa now. I've got one. The card is immaculate. The bubble is immaculate. Um, it's punched, but a pot, it, it, if you had it in your hands, it's, it's as nice as you're going to find. I bought that in 2015 at Farthest From for £40. And there you you, could, you, you can't buy a Beta Klaatu now for 40 quid. It's, it's bizarre, um, isn't it? It's really yeah. bizarre. That this, do you think this is all from the Disney effect? Did a load of people come in, in, in about five years ago? Yes. Yeah, de- definitely. The Force Awakens definitely um, had an impact. I, I think if you hadn't got Disney on board now, uh, Star Wars would be fading fast. And it would be in the realms of your vintage collectors now people reading the expanded universe books without disney star wars would have faded uh, because lucas lucasfilm really weren't interested in in, in driving the, the star wars brand they just weren't interested um it, it always felt always felt like lucasfilm kind of produced or, or knocked out star wars almost begrudgingly uh, for fans it, it, there was no kind of Right, no motivation to say, right, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other. And um, the fans want this and the fans want that. Now Disney's on board. It's been sort of lifted away from those hands which were keeping it sort of held back almost. That's how it's always felt to me anyway. I think it's that, that's due to uh, Lucasfilm resources, though, wasn't it? It was a, a really small fish in a in a big world because they did have, it was, I don't know if you saw it this year, that they had the leaked tests for the Underworld TV series. And that was being made in sort of secret. Yeah, I saw those. And uh, and obviously they had that Detours uh, cartoon as well. Obviously nothing compared to Disney. But it, it may be that there were certain things happening in the background there that didn't come to the surface. There was a few video games. There was a Darth Maul game, the 1313 game that was also cancelled. So there might have been projects that happened uh, that were going to... But I do agree. I mean, they were relying a lot on uh, you know animated shows and and tempo video game releases to carry the brand forward. Yeah, it just it never felt like there was anyone there that was kind of pushing it hard and you know really driving the the, the brand. That, that that's how it's always felt to me anyway. I think the explosion of the Force Awakens and Disney buying it and also the explosion of of Facebook as a social media outlet. I mean Facebook I've been around for a long while but you suddenly had groups and groups and groups and 
I mean, at one point, I think there was like something, wasn't there something like 18,000 active members on the UK groups at one point? Wow. I mean, yeah, I'd love I mean, to see the statistics now for who's old, active. It's, it's a perfect storm of, of, of Disney grabbing hold of, of, of the brand at the time when social media really did sort of start sprinting with, with stuff. And people really started using it as a means of just playing fandom. But, but, but to, get, to, get, to give the context, if you think about it, you know, sometimes we had 16 years between films. and But even today, on the 10th of December, there's supposed to be an announcement by Disney today to an, about all the upcoming projects that they're going to release. And then in literally uh, 12 hours' time, we have half a Star Wars film to wake up to with The Mandalorian. You know, now, can, you imagine, can you imagine Lucasfilm doing anything like that back in the day? They, this, they, they would have kept you guessing until the day before release. <laughs> they just, they, honestly, they, they didn't really uh, sort of ingratiate themselves to the fandom in the way that Disney have, I, I feel in the way that, you know, Disney are announcing this. This is going to happen. Whereas before, with Lucasfilm, it was, uh, oh, have you have you heard? There, there might be this, or there might be that, or somebody's registered the name Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. And then you get all the fanboys going on, you know, theories on this and theories on that. There was never any of that with uh, with Lucasfilm, it always felt. I mean, this is, a, this is a review of 2020, isn't it? And I don't think Star Wars has been as mainstream as it has been this year for, for a long time. I and mean, we... So we just mentioned the Mandalorian, um, but we, you know, we've talked about you know the, the retro uh, collection being in the Father's Day section of department stores, and 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 Baby Yoda being everywhere. It's just it it, it has transpired and uh, transpired. It's, it's moved. It's moved into the mainstream. It's not the it's not the the realm of geeks anymore. It is it is back as a, it's like uh, like Mark says. It's a it's a pop culture behemoth. Do, do you know, I, I, I had a sort of ironic fun last week where finding uh, hyper-rare vintage Star Wars stuff, no problem at all, finding a plush Baby Yoda from the <laughs> Disney store and mass-produced right on the market now. Couldn't find one anywhere. It took about 10 days to find it, and I was like, this is so ironic. Like, surely they, you could just pick it up from the shop, and I could not find one for it forever. But, I, you know, that's, that goes to show the impact, I think, of... Disney in 2020, that Baby Yoda, what a success. I mean, is there a better marketing gimmick than Baby Yoda? Everyone wants one. Yeah, and the weird thing was, last year, when Mandalorian uh, Season 1 was out, nobody could find a Baby Yoda anything on anywhere. And, you you know, people were moaning about, why didn't they do a plush for this and plush for that? And, you know, they could have done this, they could have wrapped up Christmas, no problem. And um, that that wasn't the point. They were keeping it secret. And now, of course, we're paying the price for that uh, popularity. It's absolutely everywhere. The actual legitimate Disney plush baby order is £21. If you go on eBay, they're using the exact same photo, and there's a reproduction copies on there for £8. And I've clicked on there, and it says underneath, sold 1000 sold 1500 sold 2000 So even the, you know, the, the I don't know if people know that they're reproductions, but even the reproductions are selling in the thousands. Well, that goes to show you how popular it is if there's uh, bootlegs out there already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them on eBay. So you should probably buy one. It might be worth an absolute fortune in a couple of years' time. I was going to mention the fact that the uh, the Aston's auction was was like uh, headline news on the BBC. You know, I was sat watching eating my tea, and it came on Midlands Day. Nico in there talking about vintage Star Wars uh, auctions. It's what people <laughs> want to hear about. Yeah, then people you don't know ask you 
don't you have these? You're like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Right. So I'm going to bring it back on topic. I mean, Sorry, I'm Ray. enjoying. No, no, I'm, enjo- <laughs> I'm enjoying like the general chit chat. Actually, it's a. I think it makes for a, a good show. But I just want to look at a couple of other areas which which could be said to be detrimental also to pricing. Now, 2020 has seen the launch of Deal or No Deal, um, and some absolutely adore it, and some absolutely hate it. Um, there's been comments that it's got a detrimental effect on the hobby altogether and it's all stacked in the seller's favour. So you've got the official deal or no deal site and uh, Jabber's Court in the UK has also used it quite heavily since the format came in, probably about six months ago. Um, Craig, I'm just going to come to you. Can you just refresh us on how deal or no deal works? So deal or no deal works uh, where a seller lists an item and people make offers on the item. So there's no... There's no figure mentioned. There's no reserve that's explicitly uh, displayed in uh, in a listing. It's just here's my item. What are you willing to pay for it? So it's a bit of a free for all. It's not an auction uh, and it's not a straightforward sales post. And people offer what they are willing to pay. And it's down to the seller to say, yeah, I'm happy with that. Or no, I'm going to hold tight till somebody makes a better offer. Perfect. Now, Mark, we've seen some people consider the selling format selling format unfair. And in fact, I've seen some buyers who uh, clearly think they've got a bit of an entitlement to certain items because they have deep pockets. Throw their toys at the pram because it's, an, an offer's been accepted and they would have paid another £500. I mean, why do people think the selling format is unfair? Yeah, I mean, these people that, 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 that behave like that, um, I think this is where deal or no deal actually works perfectly because what it does is it proves that money isn't the be all and end all. And I've seen now several examples where somebody's got something and somebody is absolutely adamant they will pay X amount for it. And sorry, no, I've dealt with somebody else. Uh, what, even though I'll offer you X amount more? Yeah, it doesn't matter. What this does is it allows the seller to sell at a price that they are happy with. Sometimes if you sell something on a Facebook group, let's say, or eBay, sometimes it's happened where you've ended up selling something to somebody you don't actually like very much, or you know is going to mess you around. This allows you to uh, bypass those buyers. And like I said, it's not always about the money. It's about placing the right item with the right person. You might turn around and say, well, why not just offer it to that person in the first place? Well, it doesn't normally work like that, does it? Um, You don't know whether whoever's concentrating on this item or that item or focus on this is in the market to buy. So that's why you advertise it. And if they come along and they offer you the right money, then absolutely fine, no problem. These people who also use it as an auction. I think there's been several complaints where people have posted an item, uh, deal or no deal, and then they just sit there and they don't interact. They leave it and people keep bidding. So the key to this is to answer there and then whether it's a deal or no deal. So this works really if you want an instant sale, say, say within an hour or a couple of hours, it's it's posted up. You need to be there to be able to say no deal if somebody offers you amount, an amount that you're not happy with or deal when it reaches an item that you are happy with. Several times I've seen now people just post up items and they've just left it. And sometimes people- they even put on their... Um- 
they post it and then they'll, they'll put on there, I'm going to let this one run for 24 hours, don't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might as well just leave it as an auction. Go to auction with it. If that's if that's your motivation, go to auction. If you're going to be sat there for the next hour or two, great. Post it up as no deal, uh, deal or no deal and, and see where it goes. But the key to it is being there and being able to answer and reply to somebody that's put an offer in. That's how it, that, that's how it would work perfectly for me. Totally agree. Now, Grant, one huge positive, and I, I think this is a big positive from the actual deal or no deal page, is we've seen a lot of what I would call quite rare items available to the majority of collectors, of items that are, would often be sold behind closed doors, do you know what I mean, in, in private groups. And suddenly we've had prototypes, we've had, um, we've seen chromelins on there, all sorts of stuff. So that, that has got to be positive for, for collectors who want to get involved in those areas. Obviously, you're, you're fresh back to us podcasting, so I've not heard your thoughts on Deal or No Deal. So it'd be interesting to, do you like the format? Have you used the format? No, and no. So you got Mark, who's obviously a dealer. Uh, you get his point of view. Now you'll get uh, Grant the Collector. For me, yes, you're right, it is. And Mark brought some good points there that I hadn't actually considered before. It, it is good to see the, the items come up, but it's a dealer's market. And I've always, my philosophy to collecting is that you don't pay for your Star Wars collection. That's the skill of it. That's the skill of finding unique items and not paying as much as you should be or, or you know, or, or going through, you know, boxes in the market and finding a blue snaggletooth or whatever. That, that to me is collecting. And the deal or no deal is you're in, you're in a dealer's environment. You're going to be expected to pay. And for me, that, that's not an environment in which I thrive in. There's, there's far too many other avenues in which to purchase Star Wars in. So on a dealer side, yeah, a great environment for it. But as a collector, I, I'm, I'm very wary of it. Saying that, there are lots of really nice items that have come up and it's a really good way of, of getting stuff. But for me, it's a bit too much more like shopping than it is like collecting. So I haven't gone anywhere near it. I, I can find these, these things a lot cheaper using other methods. Just not for me. Not for you, yeah. So Craig, this, this format in the last 12 months has had its has been you know people have pointed their fingers at you saying this is a, a massive reason that prices have absolutely soared first of all i'd like to know your thoughts on that and the evidence i will say to start with i'm aware i, I thought i was pretty on song with what the sigma prices were but on deal or no deal i mean in particular we've seen a couple of um c3po tape dispensers go <laughs> yeah. for two three times the amount that i would price them at yeah well if, if i may Stuart, i'm going to answer that question with three personal experiences so i've worn three things on deal or no deal in my in my time using it uh, and they've all been very different and i think it sort of sums up some of the different scenarios that uh, that, that present themselves so the, the first example there was an item listed i was kind of interested in it people were giving it low ball offers and they were clearly low ball offers 10 15 quid uh, the seller responded after receiving a handful of these and said look i i paid 80 quid for this so I went on eBay and I double checked that that was in the right ballpark and it was an, it was an American item, not many over here. And so I weighed up whether that felt about right for me. So I offered him £81, which was a pound more than he said he'd uh, he'd paid for it. And he, he sort of said, yes, he said, that's a deal. So after receiving lowball offers uh, to go in some uh, tens of pounds higher, that one. And, and that that sort of is one way of doing it, you know, trying to piss about, <laughs> trying to get it cheap. If it's if it's a, a price you're happy to pay, go in there, the deal's done, you walk away with the item. 
But in that scenario, he could have just listed the price he wanted. That could have just been a straightforward uh, sales post. He kind of knew what he was going to accept. So some weeks later, another item was listed by the same guy. And um, there wasn't any reference for a similar sale on eBay. It was a rarer item. Uh, I really wanted it. So uh, by way of um, a laugh, I offered him £81. And he was amused enough to, to do the deal straight away. Now, I have still got no idea whether that was a good buy or not. I know that I loved the item and I was really happy with it. But I suspect I may have overpaid uh, in that scenario. And then the third example was for a key piece. It was from a line that, that people know I collect. Uh, I was tagged in it on, on a couple of occasions. Um, so I put in an offer and another you know, relatively high profile collector bid against me and it got competitive. And people started message, messaging me privately about it. If I put a bid on, people would click like, which was just weird. It was like I had somebody on my shoulder egging me on. And the whole thing began to feel like some sort of public gladiatorial contest. Whereas if it had been an anonymous eBay auction, it would have just run like these things always do. But the seller could clearly see that he had something desirable. So he did this whole, I'll leave it till the morning kind of power play thing. Um, So you had to get up in the morning and see if anyone did any more bids. Uh, And in that on that occasion, I ended up paying more than I wanted to. It was probably double what I paid around sort of 10, year, 10 years ago for a, for a similar item. Would it have gone cheaper had it been a bit less public? I think maybe, maybe it, it probably would have done. But in the end, in that instance, the, the deal or no deal format had absolutely no bearing on it whatsoever. It was just an auction. Three examples of the different ways it works there. And, and to your original question, I think the latter scenario is probably where it comes into these, these things kind of taking on life their own and, and the prices getting uh, getting higher and higher. I also have plenty of examples of bids I've made and walked away from, which is also another uh, another good uh, benefit of the format. You know, I must admit, I, I've bought several pieces off of it this year. Nothing I would say major. I think the most I spent on there was probably two, three hundred quid on one item. It, it, it was bizarre to watch one where they had a trilogo. Uh, a wing pilot, and there was a bidding war on that that went up to two hundred and fifty pounds. And I saw there was an identical one on eBay for one hundred and seventy-five quid. But that's part of the excitement, I guess, of you know you're in some kind of like you said a public gladiatorial arena, and quite easy to get carried away with that. Mm. I've put some bids on stuff this year, and I've had the person selling it say no deal, and then they message you ten minutes later going, "I'm looking for this." <laughs> And I'm like, that's fine. I'm not willing to pay that. I'm like, and I've I've had that several times of certain sellers, and just said to myself, well, uh, surely that's meant to be done in the open. But but, but the but the fun is the fun is coming across something that you've been looking for 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 next to nothing. You know that that to me is is where it gets really exciting. Whether that that figure you've been looking for, or is that a reasonable price? It's not. It's not. You know, to to pay full whack for it, or or. So especially in a market that is increasingly becoming more and more expensive. I just uh, think it's... I think that's one way of collecting. And I think you have to weigh it up. It all balances out. Yeah, sure, it's it's great to find a bargain. It's great to be able to find, you know, a diamond in a rough. You know, it doesn't happen all that often. And if you were after, if you were collecting, you're after a specific piece and you know that that piece is rare you know full well you're going to have to pay for it if one comes up, especially on the open market. And it happens to me all the time. You know, yes, I'll find something on eBay when I buy it now, 20 quid, no problem. I know it's worth 250. Great. And then 
on the flip side to that, something will come up that I've been looking for for years and I know several other people that are after it and I know if I'm going to get it, if I want it, I'm going to have to pay the market price for it. Um, and to me, that, that that's that's how collecting works for me. It all kind of balances out. It's a yin and yang of, yeah, you get a bargain here, but you've got to pay for that. So it's all... It all equals out in the end, I think. That's that's how I look at it anyway. The the thing I find, though, I mean, I'm guilty of it because I'm on eBay all the time, as you probably know. We've already brought up stories today, like Mark, you brought up the uh, the Helix Razer display box. And Stu, I think, you know, you, you brought up on a podcast last night about the, the Clipper squid head uh, figure that you purchased in Belgium. The collecting stories are really exciting, and that's what well, that's what's interesting is the journey that you go on. And if the journey is I bought it off Facebook or I bought it off eBay, I did, and I, I'm guilty of it. It diminishes the the collecting journey quite a bit, doesn't it? it if does. you're paying full whack, it it's about acquiring a collection, and that's the difference between acquisition and collecting. There's, there's a lot of people out there who acquire stuff. And there's no passion behind it. There's no sort of reason to buy it. it it's just, it's there. It's X amount. I'm going to buy it. There you go. I, and then you display it uh, on a Facebook group and you take a picture of it. And here you go. This is my latest item. I paid X amount of thousand pounds for it. Well, that's great. But on the flip side to that, you will get the, 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 the other collector or maybe even it's the same collector who will go out and buy something. I found this at a flea market or a collector's fair. Nobody else knew what it was and I paid this amount for it. Or like my story about a friend of mine who got the Helix display. These, these things do happen. And if you're a collector, you're in for the long haul. And I've always said this thing, you know, collecting is a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You will have these stories intermingled with pieces where you've had to pay X amount, where you've had to sure. for it, or you've had to go up against other collectors, you know who uh, are after the same thing. And, and don't get me wrong, as guilty as I, I will feel about saying this, there is a certain degree of joy in being able to obtain an item that you know somebody else has been after, and you've got it, and you went up against them, and it was a fair fight, and you're the one <laughs> that came out on top. It's like I say, mate, it's all this... This kind of yin and yang of, of, of collecting all sort of equals out. Maybe maybe it's changed a lot over the years. I just think there's a fine line between collecting and shopping. You know, the deal or no deal, it, it, the collecting journey there is is quite simple. Whereas, I, I guess, maybe being a bit old school, the, the collector journey was finding, discovering this stuff, getting the information together, correlating it, uh, and, and then networking with people and... And then you'd have this massive story of like these pieces that you found and how you got these pieces. And that was so, so much more exciting and interesting than what is basically a very expensive equivalent to, to you know, shopping on Amazon. Well, I think this year, I mean, there's been yeah, no, sure. no way that any of us could really be out sort of routine around flea markets and toy fair. So it's all pretty much online at the moment. But I do understand totally where you're coming from it's very much an old school sort of way of collecting compared to how everything seems to have migrated online these days you know going to the toy fairs getting up yeah, at five o'clock in the morning going to the car boot sales rooting around the collector's shows uh, you know being the first in the line you know that's part of being a collector old school collector especially but i don't think that diminishes or takes any way anything away from people who do find themselves collecting almost solely online you know there are bargains out there there are auctions that nobody picks up on 
Sure. And, and there I, are things that you can buy for, for little to no money. If you came to see my collection, I know straight away that there are a, a few standout things that I would show you. And I, those things would stand out is because they've got a fantastic story behind them. And, and they, may, they might not be the, the, the rarest or most desirable, or but the stories behind them would be far much more interesting. I don't know. It, open to you guys. I'm just throwing seeds out there. But it's just thoughts I have going in my head whilst sat you in quarantine. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one, actually, Grant, because obviously I've only got a small collection in my office, but I can look at my Greedo stuff. Now, my Greedo collection is, is quite small, but I have some what I would call probably quite high-end Greedo pieces in there. I can tell you a backstory for everything in that cabinet. Nothing has come from just a basic eBay auction or off Facebook in there. It's all got a story. And then I look at, I started putting the 12 bats together last year. I've got nine of them and seven of them were just off eBay or Facebook. And I couldn't tell you who I bought them from. The only one of those that's got a story is, is Ben Kenobi. Yeah, I, I, kind of, I kind of get it, what you're saying. That, yeah, if someone was sitting in here, I could tell you some quite interesting stories about my Greedo pieces. Yeah, it is a, it is a good point. But 2020 is completely different, isn't it? I mean, we haven't had the luxury of meeting up and going to conventions. So we've all kept off our footing. We said at the beginning, didn't we, that we've all dabbled. So I guess that's the the trade-off, isn't it? Is now that you've got access to everything, you can amass an incredible collection. Back in the day, you didn't have access to everything. So you you got what what you could, but most things that you got would normally come... We have a ridiculous story of, you know, missing a bus and having to stand in the rain for two hours. You know, that kind of stuff. Right, I'm going to jump in and keep us moving. And the last thing I want to um, just talk about with regards to pushing money up. Another thing across Facebook, which I'm in several, I get added to them all the time. There are sellers now who have their own Facebook pages. No one else is allowed to post on there. But you see it all the time. I mean, some of them have got um, one, for example, I think has about 3,000 people. And it doesn't matter what they post up, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's He-Man, whether it's Mask, they will post something up and literally within minutes, the item is snapped up. Now, these groups do a deal or no deal on some of their items. The majority of them are part of the prices. And I mean, people buy stuff. There is no way they look to the photos or the condition of what they're buying. And I, I see some of the prices on these pages and I think Oof, a lot of the stuff is £100, £150, overpriced. Or perhaps I'm just really out of the loop. Do you think these also have a detrimental effect? I don't think um, detrimental is the right word. On some instances, maybe people have been ticked off uh, or tipped off that uh, an item is due to be uh, posted. So they they sat there ready and waiting. Or it's I, I, I do understand that some of the uh, buyers do appear to be very, very quick off the mark uh, for what is a lot you know a large part of the time an item that is market value you know it's, it's not what i would consider a cheaper item you know there's very few bargains they might be sort of 10 15 below market value but not rare items and the rarest stuff tends to go for deal or no deal because obviously they want to test the market they're not sure about market price because it's a difficult item to value in the first place so yeah, I don't think I, I, there, there is a place for them. There is a place for them, and there are a few guys out there who uh, I, I will happily deal with all day, uh, every day. Some good sellers out there, and it, that method on Facebook works for them. They are not restricted by a group's rules or politics or whatever, uh, however you want to describe it. You know, it's their group, their rules. They call the shots, 
And as far as I'm concerned, the, the seller should always really sort of set the, the rules when they're selling an item so i understand why some sellers do that you know they want total control and that's that's fair enough there's a place for these groups i don't think it has a detrimental effect on, on the game if you're not happy with the price don't pay it simple yeah. as that yeah I, I agree with you i just i just think it's the um it's like so i'm on one of these groups now i'm we're not going to name any names there's been 18 18 listings today okay only one of them is unsold and just scrolling through everything, I can't see the exact minutes, but everything is sold within the first hour of that item going up. And some of it's really run of the mill, mill to me. I just find that it's, it literally is a game of fastest finger first. And whether they want it or not, I think it's, I think it's collecting with the purpose of I'm just amassing stuff. And I think, I think we've all, we've probably all been there and done it, but that's what it looks like to me. I just need, I just need to buy stuff. I need to buy stuff. This person sells stuff. I'm on their group. I've just got to buy it. I've just got to buy it. I'm the first one in. I mean, out of those 18 today, there appears to be the same bloke has bought probably half of it. A good nine things. I, I mean, I don't have much experience of individuals' pages. I mean, I'm probably a member of a couple of them. I, I understand the culture. And early doors in, in lockdown, there was a big, big swathe of, sort of live facebook auctions and even ones oh, yeah. on youtube and they they did have a real culture of like people being very trigger happy uh, everyone seemed very caught up in the moment uh, things are going very fast uh, like like you say and it and it does seem very you know, people are buying with their gut or just blind consumerism i think you know the one i probably took part in the most it wasn't a, it wasn't a seller's uh, page but when um, todd chamberlain uh, basically had a takeover of the beyond the toys page for a couple of weeks and offloaded a huge amount of stuff but I, yeah i've got a lot of time for todd i think he's one of the more approachable and gracious of the big u.s collectors and his prices have always been really fair um his his, his stores are a highlight of of celebration he approached it in a way that you know here's here's some stuff i'm going to be listing tomorrow check back so people did have time to sort of see these things um but once they were being listed it was you know right this is a claim <laughs> It was just, it was just yeah. crazy. With somebody like like Todd, even if it was an item that you you weren't massively familiar with, because of if if you did know him and you knew him as a as a as a seller, you kind of knew it was going to be fair. <laughs> you know, Todd was going to rip you off. So so I think there was a, a confidence in people just diving in and and grabbing some of that stuff. But that was um, uh, that was a great little uh, flurry of sales posts that we had there. I, I picked up quite a bit from him. So did I. Do, do you know what? Do you, uh, going back this year, it's all coming back now. I did enjoy some of those. I think Echo Base did their sort of video stall day where people had their own sort of. They turn on their webcams and start selling did, stuff. Yeah. That yeah. was that. That was that. That was a considering like the world was crumbling around. That was such a lovely break from it all. And uh, I know Dave did his father's from gigs online. There was a few others that I, I managed to stumble across. Cantina Collectibles did one. Is it Yubnub? I was watching that one, yeah, and it was one. nice to just, you know, sit there and uh, and watch these videos and and try and talk myself into uh, not spending a ridiculous amount of money. It was it was it was though it was good it was good. But it's such a unique year, such a a sidestep from normality, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to take your hats off to those people that took the time and effort to put something on, don't you? Being been in so many people's houses this year without actually being in their house is bizarre. <laughs> well, I mean, I know I've asked you here. Do we think it's sustainable? I think I think we've kind of we've kind of answered all the questions in that paragraph as we've gone through this tonight. Yeah, anyone got any closing thoughts about the state of the hobby? Yeah, one one thing, and this is this is personal 
to me, but but Grant mentioned it about how you how you build a network and no man is an island. And you know, this this show tonight and pre- prepping for the show prompted me to look at you know the things I bought over the year. And I can point to a lot of them where either someone has tagged me in it, someone has sent me a link, or somebody has you know just got in touch um, on Facebook through messages saying you're into this stuff. You know, what do you think to this? Would you be interested? So, so direct sales to me as an individual just because of the things I talk about um, online, and that's really taken a step up for me this year. And I think that's probably because I've been sat at home on my computer engaging a bit more i bring it up more as a piece of advice to new collectors or people who are just getting into this you know that's don't underestimate how important that is to to make friends and um you know mark's example of the the dengar mailers great example and i think that's how a lot of this works i mean that's some good points that craig's mentioned there definitely social media as a tool for collecting is is crucial in order to develop your collection develop your knowledge and your network of friends. It's easy. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm not a people person, but I'm not antisocial either, if that makes sense. And Facebook and uh, social media allows me to operate, you know, within those realms without having to leave the comfort of my own home. You um, like to keep us at arm's length, don't you, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. You especially. <laughs> you especially. In fact, the podcast as a whole, especially, really. But yeah, it's it's absolutely crucial that you have some kind of presence in social media, I think. If you are looking to develop your collection, your knowledge, there's some fantastic groups out there. In terms of the market, if you're a seller, it's great. If you're a buyer, it's great. If you're a Star Wars fan, it's great. These are exciting, exciting times. Excellent. Well, there you go. Um, I think it's been quite an interesting topic. We've uh, we've certainly gone on longer than what I was expecting. It's um, it's been a good little session. That still, I reckon one thing this year has pointed out, and I think we'll all agree on this: is collecting is nothing without the collectors. And we haven't been able to meet up at all with all of our collecting buddies, and that's something we do regularly every year. And that has really shown how much this year has really shown how much that of a big deal and how much that is part of this hobby. I would say that's probably the biggest thing I've missed this year. Yeah, in, in just entire missing life, everyone. You know? And, yeah, and you, you know we are so looking forward to the nonsense of finally meeting up with everyone again. You know, it's going to be fantastic. I, I think for me, this is my how I look at it. This is my third phase of collecting. How I would describe it: collecting vintage Star Wars. Anyway, so the first era is the original era when you're a kid the second was when i was a teenager going a teenager going into early 20s so it was all about just going out and filling my boots basically literally going to car boot sales and filling a bin liner for a fiver uh, but you were very much alone during that time this yeah, time yeah. it's all about having friends like-minded people that you're able to connect with up and down the country on a daily basis you're all into the same thing you all understand the same thing you're all attending the same shows you're all interested in the prices of this buying that and all the rest of it and that to me is what's made it the most exciting period of collecting for me is it's that side of things it's not just about having the item it's been able to share it uh, both online and with people sort of coming into your office and what have you. And, um, yeah, it's definitely the social side, which has is, is kept me interested in it this time more than any other period. Well said. 
yeah, it's been a really interesting topic tonight, boys, and uh, been really interesting to hear what you've all said. Be interesting to look back at those auctions this year that kind of dictated where uh, everything went. But yeah, really, really interesting. And um, be really interesting to hear the listeners' point of view if you've you've overpaid for something this year or you've been frozen out the hobby because of prices have got too expensive. Please, please let us know. Um, go and uh, contact us across our social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Generation Skywalker. Go over to YouTube, watch all our enhanced shows. God knows what Craig's going to enhance this one with, but that's his problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, again, search for Generation Skywalker on YouTube and hit the subscribe button while you're there as well so you don't miss any of our future videos. And of course, go over to www.generationskywalker.com where you can find our blogs and Links to all of our audio shows, all of our in art shows, everything is over there. Boys, um, really fascinating show tonight. Really, really enjoyed it. But it is for those old fossils this month. Goodbye to Grant. Good night, folks. Goodbye to Craig. Cheerio. Good night to Mark. Bye. And it is <laughs> good night from me. We are Generation Skywalker.